Hi, I'm Lynn Walker, Immigration Partner at Minor and Landis. Thank you for joining us today for our Immigration Update podcast. Over the course of doing these videos and podcasts, we have received numerous inquiries about how to invest in companies in the U.S. and is there an option to get a visa if you do invest in a company? So I can't tell you how excited we are and how fortunate we are to be joined today by our guest, Jeremy Bollington. Jeremy is a franchise consultant with Your Franchise is Waiting, where he works with individuals to help them explore franchise ownership opportunities, and he helps them to work through a detailed discovery process where they can understand whether a franchise works for them and what kind of franchise works for them. So welcome, Jeremy. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into this field? Yeah, Lynn. Well, firstly, thank you for uh, for having me on the podcast, and I really appreciate that. Um, yeah, so I, I'm sort of an I guess an interesting journey to to this point. Um, as you can probably tell by my accent, I'm I'm not originally from the U.S., um, although I am now a citizen. Uh, my uh, my wife and I came to the U.S. in in 1997. I, I grew up in the U.K. as she did, and I was actually in the banking industry. Worked for a big British bank. I had the chance to come to New York, uh, which was supposed to be for three years. And 25 years later, 26 years later, we're, we're still here. Um, and so I had a, I had a long career in the, in the banking world. I ran teams. I was kind of a relationship guy. Also had the chance to work in Hong Kong and then back to, to New York. I got laid off in, in 2015 and uh, it was sort of a turning point, really my youngest child had just gone to college and I just sort of felt like I should do something different. And so my wife and I kind of investigated uh, business ownership. Uh, we also moved from the New York, New York, New Jersey area down to uh, Charleston, South Carolina. And long story short, looked at a lot of different things. Should I start a business? Should I buy a business? And ended up kind of in, in what I always describe as the, the sort of the middle ground of uh, of a franchise um, and actually mm. invested in a couple of franchises where, you know, I describe it as a middle ground because you're still starting a business, um, but you've got sort of support. You're not on, not on your own. And so that was 2016. Um, I, I, I guess about three years ago, and we still have one of those two businesses. Um, uh, but I think about three years ago, I started um, a consulting business to help people that were really looking at the similar thing to, to what I had done, i.e., you know, coming out, maybe coming out of the corporate world and wanting to get into business ownership. And so I, I help people navigate what I describe as the maze of, of franchising because there are literally thousands of, of, of um, options out there. And the, the relevance to, to E2 here, I've, I've sort of developed a niche of, of helping people that are looking to um, explore ownership of, of a franchise to support uh, an E2 visa application and have worked with a good number of people now over the last 18 months. And for me, it's always kind of fun because, you know, people have that sort of dream to come to America. Um, mm -hmm. And my wife and I, you know, did that and have, uh, you know, I think benefited from that over, you know, course of 25 years. So Jeremy, thank you for sharing that with us. It's really interesting that you yourself found a, a way to navigate through the complexity of 
E2s, but really more so franchises, which I, I understand can be, you know, quite challenging. So for our listeners, let's start from the, the beginning. So what is an E2 visa and who can apply for one in your experience? Yep. And, and so I will caveat my answer with that. I'm not, I'm not a lawyer. So, um, mm -hmm. you know, this is the, the, the sort of the business side view of it. Um, so an E2, uh, as I would describe it is, is basically a non-immigrant temporary US visa. And it basically requires the applicant to either invest in an existing business or to start a new business. And then I think in terms of, you know, who can who can apply for that there is you know, basically the, the 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 individual the applicant has to be a citizen of a country that has a treaty with the us for for mm -hmm. e2s it's sort of an interesting list i mean i think most of the the oecd countries are on that so you think you know uk um france germany etc in in europe mm -hmm. and you know places like australia new zealand canada etc excellent so from a legal perspective, that was all correct. No worries. <laughs> I'll act as the immigration attorney on this video. Um, so what are the criteria for a business to support an E2 visa? It's sort of interesting because I, I, I guess, you know, my my background in banking, I'm always sort of looking at, at you know, numbers and, and precise, you know, definitions of, of things and, and probably similar on your side from from a legal perspective but with the with you know, I always think it's interesting with the E2 because it it's a little it's it's somewhat gray and that there is sort mm -hmm. of this description of you know somebody must invest the or be in, in the process of or have invested um substan a substantial amount of capital people's question is always well what what does that mean mm -hmm. um nowhere is it sort of really defined but i think you know best practice is is that that it needs to be um you know at least a minimum of a hundred thousand us um i mean certainly i think people will say they've seen cases you know slightly below that but that's that's typically my sort of starting point and ideally you know north of that if somebody is on a limited budget i'd still much prefer to see the investment amount kind of up you know, closer to 120, 125,000. Mm -hmm. and, and obviously if it's above that, then the, the, you know, the investment amount is not an issue. You know, the other key sort of criteria, the, the individual must be, you know, coming to the U S solely to, you know, develop and direct that business. And the business also has to be a, you know, clearly a for-profit business. It may not be profitable on on day one, particularly clearly, if it's a startup, it's it's not going to be. But it has to have the capability of supporting the applicant and his or her family. Uh, and if it's a new business, I believe you know there's a period of time that they you know they 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 have to get to profitability within. In your experience, what are the benefits of doing an E2 through a franchise versus the more traditional route of either purchasing an established brick and mortar style company or creating your own company? That's a great question. And I, I think, you know, it's sort of interesting. I, I, you know, when I went through my sort of personal journey of, of, you know, looking at businesses, I thought about all three of those, those options. Obviously that wasn't to support an E2. E2, that was thinking about it more from perspective of starting a business in 
in the US. To me, you know, if I look at those three options, I, I think the most probably the most traditional is somebody buying an existing business. And that can be a that, you know, if you can find the right business at, at the right price, that can be a great, a great option because in theory, if it's a you know, if it's a well-performing business, it's going to be cash flowing from, you know, from day one. I think the, the, the two big challenges I see there, and I see a lot of people that, that, you know, will come to me that they've been, they've been looking on biz by sell. They've been searching for, for a business. I'd say probably three, three issues that I see one, you know, they may be looking in a certain, you know, city or, or jurisdiction they want to live in. Can they find the right, the right type of business for sale in that, in that market two i think if you're a seller if you have a great business you know are you going to want to sell to somebody who's who's potentially going to you know be on a process that's four to six months you know with ultimately no no absolute guarantee that they will get their their visa uh and then third i think the other issue is is due diligence um and doing due diligence on a business typically the seller you know usually thinks it's worth way more than it actually is mm -hmm. i certainly found that when i was looking at some businesses um and so that's a, that's always a you know a challenge so it, and again it clearly you know a lot of people do go that route and are successful and are able to structure a deal but it can be you know it can be a challenge and i think particularly a challenge if somebody's on a on a budget mm -hmm. and close to that investment amount as to can they find the right the right business in that sort of sweet spot of of you know, a hundred, hundred and twenty-five thousand. The second option, start a business. I think if if you're somebody that has um, you know, run and built a business in, you know, let's say you're coming from, you know, France or Germany, you've you've built a successful business, you and you know, have had that experience of running a business, it's it's certainly much easier for somebody with that experience to you know, to start their own business in the US. It's still somewhat challenging because you're coming to a new, you know, a new culture unless you've mm -hmm. had that international business experience. But I think, you know, if, if somebody doesn't have that experience, the, the challenge then of, you know, starting a business, creating a brand, creating marketing, um, you know, doing it all on your own or paying, you know, ending up actually paying a lot of fees to somebody to to do some of the elements for you, I think can be really challenging. And the the failure rate of, um, you know, startup businesses, even in just the US as, you know, individuals starting businesses in the US without that added complexity of coming to a new country and a new market, you know, can be, is, is, is very high. So I think that one's challenging. I think what, what I sort of like about the franchise world, and it's why I personally went that that route, was that you know the reality is you're still starting a business because you know mm -hmm. it doesn't even in the most successful franchise systems people fail, mm -hmm. and usually that failure is owner operator, um, mm -hmm. you know, in terms of error, not following the system, thinking that they can they can do it better themselves. In reality, if 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 it's a good franchise system, and you follow the system, um, your chances of success are going to be that much higher. Yes, there's a, you know, there's obviously a cost to it. You're paying fees to to the franchisor, but in return, you're getting that 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 support system. You're getting the brand, um, and you're also getting, I think. A, a huge intangible, which is the other franchisees. I mean, for me as a franchise owner, and, and certainly 
owning businesses going through COVID, having having that network of other owners that you're not competing with. I mean, they become friends mm-hmm. in a lot of cases that you can pick up the phone to is is just like hugely valuable, I think. And so to me, that's why I always sort of describe franchising as being that that middle ground of of, you know, you're 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 buying into something where you've got that 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 support system that doesn't exist as a small business owner on your own. Mm-hmm. That's really great information. Um, I typically, when I've worked on E2s, it's been with individuals who create their own businesses. They're successful abroad and they come here and create uh, either a branch or a subsidiary or or affiliate. I I don't have that much experience with franchises. So I, I guess that brings us to our next point. How do you choose which franchise is the right one for you? It seems like there are thousands if not hundreds of thousands of franchises available how do you know which one is right for you certainly it's a it's a broad landscape i think at any one mm-hmm. time i think there's about four to five thousand um companies registered as as franchisors and and some you know some come and go you know you'll see a lot of businesses mm-hmm. start with maybe they've had a corporate business corporate store try to franchise they can't and they you know they stop i think the stat is i think about five percent of franchises get to a hundred either you know physical stores or territories so it gives you a sense mm-hmm. of you know the, the 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 number that are able to to grow um how do you how do you search well if and this is sort of interesting in terms of um if you're looking whether you're looking in the US or you're looking, you know, from, you know, Europe or Asia um, to support an E2, it's it's actually quite hard to find real information on individual franchises beyond kind of a typically a franchise sales website that the franchisor mm-hmm. has that's all bright and shiny and, you know, maybe some some sort of headline numbers that grab your attention. And the reason behind that is because they want to talk to people and get you into their sales process. If, if, and this is a big if, if they determine that you're qualified, that's tough enough in the US because, you know, you're, you know, you're still having to go through that and talk to a lot of franchisors just to get, you know, kind of even high level information. It's even harder as an E2 candidate because often the moment a franchise development person sees that you're you know let's say you're in in france depending on how busy they are they may or may not even reach out to you um mm-hmm. you can fill in the form saying hey i'm interested in your your franchise um, and actually i had that recently with somebody in in germany he'd been trying to reach a sports franchise and they wouldn't talk to him and the, mm-hmm. that can be one of two reasons uh, I'd, I'd say probably 60 to 70, maybe even higher percent of the franchisors out there will not work with E2 candidates. They just think it's too hard. It takes too long. And they, they worry about the risk of somebody coming, you know, to the U S from another country. Can they, can they operate in this, in this country? And so in terms of, you know, choosing the right franchise, it, one of the things that people like me do is help people filter through that that process of, you know, not wasting time with those brands that won't, mm-hmm. you know, won't work with E2s. But more importantly, working with the the individual to really sort of dig into, you know, their skill set, their background, their budget. And certainly if, if their uh, resources are somewhat limited, that budget piece becomes really, really crucial because, you know, not only are they 
investing in a business, they're coming to a new country, they're going to have, you know, costs that they probably don't anticipate. So we spend a lot of time on on that. Um, and then really looking at their, you know, their skill set, their what they're comfortable doing. Do they want to be working, you know, in the business or are they looking for something where they can put a manager in place? And and then taking all of that information and trying to find, you know, the right the right fits for them in the you know, in the franchise world within the geography that they're, you know, they're looking at. It, it seems so many times it's Florida, <laughs> um, but that's, uh, it, it, you know, we, we have a very good handle now on who has what mm -hmm. available in, in that market. But, but, you know, we work across the country. I've, I've placed people into, you know, into North Carolina, into Texas, um, mm -hmm. still seems to be mainly <laughs> on the Southern side of the country, but yeah, it, it's it's strange. Um, I, I think you're probably getting a lot of uh, what we refer to as the snowbirds, people who live in uh, places where the winters are fairly brutal and they want to be in the U.S. and be able to work, but also be able to enjoy the warmer, the yeah. warmer climate, the warmer temperatures here. So I, I, I can understand why you get so many people who want to establish franchises in the, the South. The southern parts of the U.S. So that I guess that brings us to the next question. When we're talking about warm, <laughs> what are the hot franchises right now? Oh dear. Well, you know, it is it is funny. Everybody everybody asks me that question. That it, it, it doesn't matter what what discussion you're mm -hmm. having, and I, I, you know, not to avoid the question, but my my response is usually like, I actually I don't really care what the hot franchises are. That's not what mm -hmm. I. It's not what I focus on. I mean, I, you know, if I go back to what we just talked about in terms of process, and, and you know, everybody is different, and you know, it's sort of going through that methodical process of of budget, skill set, you know, needs and wants, and 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 things to determine then what you know what is the right fit for somebody. Um, although it is. You know, it is funny, often people will, and this is probably more on my, um, you know, my client base that, that I would work with in the US, um, you know, I will see people come and say, gee, I, you know, I read about XYZ, um, you know, that seems like a really good business. Uh, and it's, I'm always nervous when I see franchises growing at, at very, very fast pace, because it's, you know, suddenly mm -hmm. they become that the hot franchise and you know that triggers two or three thoughts in my mind you know is that sustainable you know or is it just mm -hmm. a fad um can the franchise or actually execute on it you know sometimes you'll see stories where you know some a franchise has signed you know three four hundred locations in a 12 18 24 month period unless they're backed by you know a much bigger organization uh that has franchising experience and and that's not like running the business per se it's that, just that mm -hmm. experience of onboarding training um franchisees getting them open tweaking the system because if it's a new brand that's just growing like crazy they're going to have to tweak the system because things will you know they'll discover things that aren't working you know to an optimal an optimal sense it is interesting because you, you, know, you will see things grow very rapidly. I'd say, you know, some of the things that have been growing, you know, quickly of, of late, um, I think some of the cookie type stores, I'm, you know, to me, that feels like a fad. Um, mm -hmm. you know, I, and, and I, you see that often in the food space, you know, you'll see 
individual sort of you know kind of sub segments um grow rapidly i'd see where i'm spending more time um both with my e2 and my my sort of us um clients is really on um service related businesses they've certainly boomed in the sort of covid and post covid environment and by that i mean you know it could be home services i think a lot of those businesses saw a big uh, a big boom as people were at home you know noticing things that they meant to deal with with their house at, at some mm-hmm. point um and that but i i think you know it's sort of interesting with those businesses because the the startup costs tend to be much lower than what people think of as traditional franchises the bricks and mortar businesses that mm-hmm. you see and and know the brands because typically those service businesses are operating out of maybe a small warehouse storage type space uh, maybe small very small office space um you're buying equipment and trucks and you're hiring you're hiring technicians to you know to work for you uh and so those can be you know in many ways those can be great options for for E2s because you don't have the complexity of um, real estate, which is a whole separate topic mm-hmm. that we might want to touch on because that that's a you know a tough area to na- navigate. You've been working with franchises for quite some time now. Have you seen that certain industries, franchises in certain industries, are more challenging or more problematic than others? Are certain are there certain industries that you think an E2 investor should stay away from in terms of owning a franchise? What I tend to do on the E2 side, um, and this is definitely you know different for somebody that's that's here in in the U.S., but for E2s, and, and again thinking about franchise where somebody's starting a new location, I think it's very different mm-hmm. if somebody's buying an existing, you know, mom and pop business or even buying a resale of a of a franchise. Um, mm-hmm. But where it's a new location, um, it's it's very challenging to do the real estate if it's a business that requires okay. a a storefront. So let's say, you know, a restaurant, a gym, um, a beauty salon would be the you know three three of the biggest categories there. And the reason it's challenging is, um, you know, back to that sort of the the criteria in terms of um, uh, sizable investment into a business. A for start those real estate related businesses that require real estate, the investment amount tends to be much higher because the cost mm-hmm. of you know building out a restaurant, building out a gym can be three, four, or five hundred thousand. But even if somebody's got that capital and and willing to invest that the the requirement from the e2 is that that you know you can't apply and say i'm gonna you know i've paid my franchise fee i'm coming to the us and then i'm gonna find my my location and it'll be six to nine months after that i'll have nailed down the lease and and started build out you have to have that already um secured and that's really hard to do because a it takes a long time. Commercial real estate here in the U.S. just moves very, very slowly. But secondly, um, it's it's hard to as a as an applicant to protect yourself in any way because you would be signing you know a multi year lease. Um, the landlord may be nervous to do that because you're coming without a credit history, probably in the U.S. Um, and the landlord doesn't have that certainty that you're going to get the visa approved. And so for, for all of those reasons, I, I think starting a new um, kind of 
franchise that requires physical bricks and mortar storefront is is just very challenging and i tend to mm-hmm. tend to steer away from that you know i think i think the other element that can be in a totally different direction that can be challenging for somebody coming to the us is a is a business that requires kind of typically the the owner at the outset to be kind of chief sales person particularly if that sales into um into the b2b um the business world unless that individual has had you know broad kind of international um business development and sales experience because you know typically it it's it could be both language culture and just that comfort with you know with with calling and selling in the US and again I could say from personal experience when I first came to the US as a as a banking kind of sales relationship guy it it took a while to adapt to the culture and you know, there wasn't any language issue it was just you know mm-hmm. culturally just very very different so I'd say those would be the the big two um that I would sort of steer clear of if you know again depending on the individual what were some of the things that you found challenging I I, I would assume possibly it was the lack of connections, like it, it can be hard if you don't have connections to, to sell to people. But what did you find about the culture that was challenging? Reflecting back, God, it was a long time ago now, <laughs> 20, <laughs> 25 years ago, but it's probably two things. I think one was sort of just, I, I, I guess it's somewhat cultural, cultural. And that was in, in the UK, the typical sort of start of a meeting would be 10 minutes like chat about, I don't know, the weather, the cricket, the, mm-hmm. the, the soccer, the you know, kids, whatever. I mean, depending on how, how long you've known somebody, whereas I, I, and, and some of this might've been the sort of positioning of, of the bank I was with at that time. We didn't, you know, we were not like a top bank to, to any of these clients. So it could well have been, you know, you got 30 minutes, come pitch your, <laughs> come pitch your stuff. But that I think after two, a couple of weeks realizing they're like, okay, just need to get down to, you know, start the meeting with like, here's what, here's the agenda. Let's get on with it. Um, mm. So that was sort of, but, and I still think that's some of the, that, that I think that's, that's still there today probably. But, um, and then I think the other, yeah, I think the other element was just that, uh, you know, the point about relationships, which I think is a good one that you, you bring up there because again, if, you know, tying that sort of back to, you know, if you're starting a business in the US, and this is, you know, this isn't franchise specific. In fact, actually, you know, I think one of the things that the franchise world helps with is, you know, they're kind of typically their proven market marketing systems and, and ways to, you know, the playbook of here's how you start out. And I sort of always think about if, if, if you're starting that business on your own, again, unless you've done it, you know, successfully going into other other markets, other countries. I just think that's really, really challenging. You know, I see mm-hmm. often I'll see people come, you know, and set up, um, you know, often tends to be things like marketing, digital marketing type businesses. You know, I can only imagine how tough that is unless somebody's already got a pre existing network to start going and knocking on doors to, you know, to build, to build business. Jeremy, with all of your experience, um, being, an immigrant yourself, being a business owner, having to learn the ropes about the culture and also just how to navigate through the process of owning 
and finding the right franchise for yourself. What advice would you offer to someone who's interested in coming to the U.S. through the E2 process or just advice to any new immigrant who arrives in the U.S. and is, you know, looking to work? What advice would you have? Yeah. Well, I think I'd, I'd probably break that into two, two elements. If it's somebody just, mm-hmm. you know, coming to work in the U.S. or and or when if somebody's invested in a business and they're mm-hmm. they're, they're launching that that business, I think it's, you know, accept that you're you're coming into a different culture and try to you know adapt and and bend to that as as quickly as you can. But without losing, and I, you know, people often joke, it's like, gee, you got that British accent, you kind of use that. To, so, so don't like, <laughs> don't lose everything that mm-hmm. you know that you're you're bringing and your experiences and, and that. But I think it is, it's it, it's very like, don't fight the culture. And that was my, you know, back mm-hmm. to my example of like, just start the meeting quickly because you know you 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 had a certain amount of time, and if you wasted half of that on chit chat you know you weren't going to get an extra 10 15 minutes at the end of the meeting to to catch mm-hmm. it up um i think if somebody's uh, kind of looking at uh, and has made that decision to to seek an e2 and they're uncertain about um you know whether to start their own business or you know want to explore um franchising i think either either route that you're you're going i would say it's engage professionals you know the number of times mm-hmm. i come across people that have you know perhaps been declined because they didn't use an immigration attorney you know maybe didn't use somebody to help them write their their business plan um you know it you, you can have the greatest business in the world and and be ready to roll but you know if you don't get approved that it's all you know it's all for now so um, mm-hmm. I think it's engage those professionals. And if you're looking at, you know, if you've made that decision that you want to explore what the options are on the franchise side, it's engage somebody, you know, like me to, you know, to help you through, because as we, you know, as we talked about earlier, it's, it's hard to explore, um, individual franchise options on your own because it's, you know, it's just hard to engage with, with the right franchisors. I love that advice, um, not just to work with professionals. The E2 is probably one of the most complex visa processes that I've worked on. I mean, you really need to have someone write your business plan. You need to have someone help you with marketing. You definitely need legal help, not just from an immigration attorney, but also for contracts. Yep. If you're talking about a franchise, you need someone who can help you navigate that, such as yourself. Uh, you also need an accountant. Uh, I'm sometimes amazed at people who try to start the process or halfway through and realize uh, I'm, I'm running up against a barrier. Um, and you look at what they've done and they do have a great idea, but they've started the whole process the wrong way. Um, and it takes so much more time, effort, expense to undo everything that's wrong and restart it. So that's wonderful advice. Um, I guess the next question would be, so let's say someone wants to engage you to help them navigate through the franchise process. How do you get paid? What are your fees? Yeah. So the, the good news for the, for the E2 candidate is that, that actually the, the franchise consultant um, broker model is, is actually very similar to um, what we would call buyer's agent in, in real estate or, or even executive search in that we 
we have a network of four to 500 franchisors, again, not all of which will work with E2s, but we're part of a, a network um, where those franchisors carve out part of their marketing budget to pay uh, a referral commission to mm-hmm. somebody like me if I bring them a, a candidate who ultimately goes through you know the due diligence process and becomes a franchise owner the sort of caveat with with e2 candidates is that that that's a, a longer process because typically um, the franchise or you know doesn't sort of recognize them as a full-blown franchisee until they have their e their e2 uh, mm. visa but um, I would I get paid at that at that point um so my services to to somebody looking at um exploring ownership from an e2 perspective are are free what i do obviously is i i you know i early on i i work with somebody to qualify are they you know are they a serious candidate or are they just kicking kicking tires Mm -hmm. um i'm you know candidly we we go through that initial process and decide does it make sense for the two of us to to work together to uh, mm-hmm. to work through what can be a you know a six to nine month process from first conversation to mm-hmm. you know as you know for the timeline for for e2 um depending on which country um mm-hmm. they're coming from and so final question jeremy how do people contact you if they want to engage your services so the easiest way to get in touch with me is through our our website um, www.yourfranchiseiswaiting.com and hopefully we can put a we can attach a link um, the mm-hmm. uh, as as you go to that website you'll see a services section and a, a, a specific tab for e2 services just take a look at that it's got some I think hopefully some helpful information there as well and you can schedule a consultation with me through through there it goes directly to my to my calendar jeremy thank you so much for sharing your insight your personal experience and your history with immigration with us uh i i think your own journey has provided you with so much understanding of the process and compassion for those who are wanting to come to the u.s and invest in the country and you've done it yourself, so you know what it takes to get the visa approved. I can't thank you enough for joining us. And I want to thank our listeners for joining us as well. If you have any questions, please feel free to send us a message through LinkedIn. If they are with regard to the E2 and you'd like to connect with Jeremy, we will have his contact information available as well in the text of the video as well as in our posts. Thank you once again for joining us. Thank you, Lynn.